Welcome to Season 2, Episode 26 of The MN Corner. I'm Brad Rothschild. And I'm Stephen Cook. It's hard to imagine that we're 26 episodes into the second season. <laughs> I know. Steve, it is pretty amazing. Uh, but I the know. flowers are blooming. That means, you know, we're, we're well Spring. into, we're past Spring. halfway of the second season of I'm Man Corner. It's really That's incredible. True. It's really incredible. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, in such a short time, we have accomplished so much so, with this little podcast of ours. It's really amazing. We've, we've managed to anger our family, <laughs> alienate our friends. <laughs> I know there's... Piss off people, piss off complete strangers. <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine the other day on the phone, and he said something about a men corner. He's like... Yeah, is there anybody on that podcast that you guys don't think is that you talk about that you don't think is an idiot? And I was like, hmm, hmm, it's a very good question. I was like, I like former President Obama. <laughs> he's okay. He's okay. <laughs> he's not an idiot. He's not an idiot. I like my wife it, and children. They're okay. Well, our, our families are not idiots, but I mean, public figures like, uh, mm. can't really think of one. Hmm. Can't think of Paul one. Ryan? No. <laughs> oh my god. Goodbye, <laughs> uh, Paul Ryan. Is he? He really must be afraid of the Iron Stash. That guy. Is that, that guy's the union organizer. Is like a pipe uh, fitter who's running against him, who's raised like five million bucks or something. Yeah. And then there's another Democrat that's also running, who apparently is more qualified than the Iron Stash. It's just that the isn't there some. Isn't there some neo Nazi? And then on the Republicans. The, the Republicans. Not a neo Nazi. He's like. He's not even Neo. He's like old school. He's like, oh, I he's love a, Adolf Hitler. Like a, I mean, he's he like won the Republican nomination. Man. He's like a hundred-year-old German man. He's like an actual Nazi. <laughs> he's like, he's like, he was goose-stepping in Berlin. <laughs> and and now and now down the mean streets of Madison, Wisconsin. Exactly. Exactly. What the hell? Only, I mean, can you imagine that in this day and age, it's totally acceptable for some guy to run on a, a Nazi party platform? Like, well, what do you stand for? Well, let's see. The eradication of Jews, homosexuals, and all other undesirables. I really, I think the U.S. could use some extra Lebensraum, so I'm in favor of annexing both Mexico and Canada. It's like, just, what the hell? It's fucking unbelievable. And then all those schmucks who are members of the Republican Jewish Coalition, they're like, uh, can you please make sure that he doesn't run as a Republican? Like, fuck you, dudes. Look at your people. They're voting for this guy. They're voting for this guy. Well, I mean, more importantly, how does he feel about Israel? He probably I mean, feels that's good really about the it. bottom line. He pro- yeah, yeah, exactly. He probably feels good about it. Like he a supports, lot of these alt-right he, guys. He's... He supports a muscular Zionism, so... Well, then the Republican case, Jewish Coalition would be like, eh, whatever. He's okay. I mean, but know, no, they, they're, they're very opposed. So he, really must, like. he must hate... He must be one of these people... Like, you know, the alt-right, a lot of these guys, Richard Spencer, they're like, yeah, we don't like Jews, but Israel's great. You know, because it's it's a na- it's it's nationalist, and, you know, you wouldn't want to mix... You wouldn't want to... You wouldn't want to mix... Uh, you know, Muslims and Jews in Israel, forgetting that 20% of the population are Arabs, many Muslims, many Christians, whatever. Um, but I think this guy, he's like old time oh, Nazi. So he, he even hates Israel. Even, yeah. Anti, like, and that kind of crazy <sighs> anti-Zionist conspiracy, like David Duke. 
Like David Duke. Yeah. Kind of thing. I, you know, I'm so psyched that I control, I found out that I control the weather. <laughs> so. <laughs> Roger. That guy. If I, let me tell you something. If I control the fucking, oh, I cursed. Fine. 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 It's a dollar fifty. I it's think. fudge. Is that two dollars? Two dollars. All right, keep that running tab. Two dollars. Uh, no, it's so a buck fifty. If I the, for for the F word. Oh no, it's two dollars. Look right. at your jar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's two dollars. Two dollars. Two dollars. Two. Two. Yeah. Two dollars. Okay. Uh, if I controlled the weather. Yeah. It would not be 42 degrees in New York City <laughs> on April 15th. You can rest assured of that. It would be like 70. <laughs> I know. Everybody was whining about how hot it was yesterday. It was like low well, was 80s, not a lot of humidity. And excuse me, everybody, but on Monday it was like 45 and everybody was annoyed. But of course... We, well, I think people... We have no transition. Right. We have no transition. But <laughs> I think... No- I think the problem is is that people don't don't remember Monday because things are so crazy. Like we, I was at Mia's soccer game yesterday, and I was talking to some of the parents, and one of the moms was like, "Hey, Stephen, you know, what, what's your what's your take on Syria? I've been I've been curious." And we got into talk, talking about all this stuff, and I said, "Just think about the week." I said. It, it, I said, do you remember Monday? And one of the dads is like, no, I don't remember Monday. I was like, I guarantee you something insane happened on Monday. I said, do you remember Probably. Tuesday? I was like, something at even least more insane things. happened yeah. on Tuesday. At least five insane things I said, do you remember Wednesday? He's like, me, I have no idea. I was like, the most insane on Wednesday. He's, he's like, really? What happened? Me, I said, how about Thursday? You remember that? That was pretty crazy, too. Nobody remembers it. So... Let me ask. Let me back up though. Yeah. When that when that soccer mom sidled up to you yesterday, yeah, she's by the way she's an Amen corner listener. Oh, then there I can't say anything. No, 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 no. Knock yourself out. I was just going to ask in what way she asked you for your expertise. Was she like, Stephen? I've been meaning to ask you about Syria, <laughs> or was she, Stephen? I've been meaning to ask you about Syria. <laughs> And then you get into a full... So, you know what? Decidedly the latter. I have been meaning... Decidedly yeah, the latter. Okay. Although, I, I picked up on yeah. your nuance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm no, no, no. But no. I, I, I actually do want to talk about Syria because I'm quite troubled by the fact that even for somebody who follows the news and who knows a little bit about the Middle East, this is really... Hard to follow, and it's it's kind of confusing. This is a the the most. This is a, one of the worst problems we've ever confronted. Um, ever? Yeah, it's well. Uh, think about Syria at this point has destabilized uh, the Middle East as well as Europe, uh, and there remains right. that is true. No, there remains real no real answer. To the problem that Syria presents on a on a number of levels, but I will tell you, and I was I wasn't exactly arguing. I was going back and forth on some with someone on Twitter yesterday, someone I don't know, but who seemed like a a smart guy. Um, and I've really been reluctant to do this recently. Like mostly, my Twitter feed is pushing out my work and making snarky comments on other people's tweets. And yeah. he was saying something like, "Well, you know." Uh, the, the, the foreign policy community has basically failed. It's either 100 missiles or nothing. And I said, hey, um, so what's the plan? What should we be doing? Right. 
and he didn't really have, you know, he's like negotiation, you know, whatever. And I was trying to get in. Okay. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, so, no, so what I, I, I was saying was that, and then he was kind of like starting to get on me about, you know, being one of these policy people. I said, Hey, look, I'm perfectly honest to tell you that I have publicly changed my mind on Syria at least three times, possibly four, because this, I don't know how you, how you be consistent as the situation changes. Right. Okay. So I want to back up. Okay. I want to back all the way up to what, like seven years ago when the civil war started? It started in March 2011. The uprising. Okay. The uprising started in March 2011, which is right around the time when there were uprisings throughout the entire Middle East. Exactly. Right? Yes. And it was thought at the time that this was just part of the wave that was rocking the regimes that uh, had been in place for however long in however many countries. and uh, Let me stop you right there. Because yeah. there's a problem, and it goes back to exactly this moment. So, yeah. from what I understand, the U.S. Uh-huh. Embassy in Damascus, led by the ambassador there, a guy named Robert Ford, who was hailed by people because as the uprising spread around Syria, he he drove to Aleppo and stood with the people of Aleppo. But that Uh embassy was reporting back to Washington that it's only a matter of time before Assad falls. And the frame that they were using was Tunisia and Egypt. Now, for those people who knew a lot about Syria, and I I think I know something about Syria, I I wouldn't consider myself a Syria expert, but having spent long periods of time there, particularly in the summer of 1994, but also being someone who's educated about the Middle East and done a lot of reading about the Assad regime, that this was a very, very different kind of regime than either in Tunisia or Egypt. And that all of its incentives, all the incentives of the leaders, including the military, intelligence, the family, was to fight. And this was something that was completely missing from what people were seeing in Washington based in part from what I understand from friends and colleagues who worked for the president at the time, that a lot of this was coming from the embassy in Damascus at the time. Only a matter of time before Assad falls. So that's, I think, an original sin. uh, Okay. So my study and understanding of the Middle East was that the Assad regime was most similar in style and type to Saddam Hussein's Iraq. That they were both led by essentially clans or a very powerful family that depended on uh, the religious ties, in this case the Alawites who propped up or supported uh, Assad, much like the Tikritis propped up Saddam Hussein and his criminal family that ran Iraq. Uh, And they were both from the Ba'ath Party, right? Um, although I, in the main, branches, in the main, that's in the main, that's that's absolutely right. We don't need to bore our main corner right. listeners okay. with details. Okay, so so, so like I said, uh, okay, every so, incentive. So there's an uprising. Every incentive yeah. was to militarize the uprising and to fight. In, okay, in, in terms so, of regime so, security, in terms of history, look, Hafiz al Assad, Bashar's father, sent his uncle and. Uh, military forces to the city of Hama in 1982 and killed 25,000, 30,000 right. people to put down an uprising. So And then paved over everything yeah. like this and I mean, turned, it, turned it into a parking lot. Right. So 
all of our... Uh, okay, so this is a brutal regime that will do anything it has to do to maintain its hold on power. Right. Should we leave? Should we? Should we agree on that? Absolutely. Okay. Now, again, let's for context sake. Who's backing them outside of Syria? Okay. So, Even, so here's the deal. Um, yeah. For years prior to this uprising, Turkish foreign yeah. policy was geared towards ingratiating itself with the Assad regime, on the theory yeah. that Turkey could pull Assad and Syria away from Iran. Iran and Syria have had a strategic relationship since the late 1970s, early 1980s. Right. For two reasons. Okay. Which are unimportant. So, but somewhere along the lines, someone, maybe it was Hafiz on his deathbed, said to Bashar, or he told his cronies before Bashar, and they told Bashar before Bashar got rid of all of his father's cronies. He said, if you ever get into trouble... There's only one place to go, and that's Tehran. Okay. Okay. Proceed. And plus, again, going all the way back to the Cold War, the Russians and the Syrians always had a. Yeah. They, they did not have long. Yeah. Long standing, long standing ties. Long, a naval base right. there in okay. Tartus. Okay. When I was studying so, Arabic so, in Damascus, there were. This was after the Cold War. There were still a lot of Russians there. There were a lot of mixed marriages. There were Russians who had married Syrian women. Uh, okay, so we have... And vice versa. So we have influence... So we have the influence of Iran and Russia in Syria. Mm-hmm. And we have now this uprising in 2011 mm-hmm. and Bashar al-Assad says, I'm putting this thing down because I'm not playing around and I'm not giving up power. Right. I'm not going to... I'm not going to walk away. There are no right. generals that are going to push me out. Right. And, and I'm going to do whatever it is It was a fantasy. Everybody thought, oh, the generals will put a bullet in the back of his head and right. everything will be fine. Yeah. Right. Right. And he was untested. Everybody knew his father was ruthless, but nobody knew what he would do given these circumstances. Because wasn't he an ophthalmologist by training? Yeah. He's the accidental president. His brother, his yeah. older brother, who was allegedly, you know, a military commander and so on and so forth, was supposed to yeah. be. But he killed himself driving too fast on the way to the airport. But he didn't commit suicide. No, 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 no. He was driving like 150 miles an hour in a BMW and cracked it up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now we have an uprising that is being put down with the utmost brutality. So so this is what happens. So the uprising happens. Bashar starts to – first they start – they arrest people. They start torturing people. Then they start militarizing it, and then people, to protect themselves, start acquiring weapons, and it kind of turns into a civil war. With the help of the Iranians, they start employing kind of irregular forces to be kind of shock troops and instill fear in the population so that there wouldn't be uh, an uprising. And then you had – then jihadists started coming into Syria to fight Bashar al-Assad with the help of the the – of the Turks and others in the region, it wasn't okay. So, so let me okay. Let me just ask you. So, ISIS. Now, I mean, I know I'm conflating. You know, we're we're, we're mm-hmm. compressing the timeline a little bit just for right. the sake of uh, time and clarity. Right. So, right now, so who? So, where is ISIS in this whole fight? They're fighting against the regime, right? Correct? So, ISIS makes a huge comeback starting in 2012. The organization was completely moribund. 
And 2012, yeah. 2013, it starts making a, a comeback. And if you read a pretty good book called False Dawn, you'll see why there seems to be this uptick. Wait, in who a, wrote that? Some guy. And, and um, it, it, why yeah, there's a, an uptick in the kind of appeal right. of, of this kind of extremism. And what we know about the Islamic State is that it's a, it's a lot of Iraqi former military and intelligence officers and others. Um, and they have, um, after the uprising in Syria begins, they start um, infiltrating into Syria. Um, and But their ultimate goal is Syria and is Iraq and beyond. But they start infiltrating into Syria and start acquiring territory during this during this uprising where right. Syria, the Syrian forces are preoccupied with fighting in cities, big, big cities where there is an uprising that is basically sweeping uh, the country and it becomes militarized into the civil war. One of the things that, again, a myth that was punctured by this was that the Syrian armed forces were always armed forces that, you know, the last one standing that the Israelis had to worry about. But they couldn't even beat these kind of like ragtag groups of militias, even if they were being armed by proxies around the region. Okay. Okay. So, again, let's compress the timeline okay. a little bit. How many uh, internal and external refugees have been created by this so, in the seven years of civil war? So first of all, up till this point, so we are in mid twenty eighteen. We're we're talking between four hundred thousand and five hundred thousand dead. Then you have so we're talking about half a million people are dead. Are dead. You have three million refugees alone in Syria. Right, internal it, internally displaced people. Well, no, no. I'm sorry. Did I say in Syria? In Turkey. I'm sorry. Three yeah. million people oh, okay. have made their way to Turkey. Then you have. Uh, a million or plus in Jordan, uh, in yeah. Lebanon, and then think of all the ones who've made their way to Europe. We're talking about um, ten million people. Uh, so ten million refugees. Ten million How refugees, many, and then you have internally displaced people. You know, getting close to half the population now. Syria's population, okay. I think, around twenty-eight million, something along those lines. And, and we're also talking about whole cities that have been destroyed. Oh my God! Well, uh, if you look at the pictures of Aleppo, it's yeah, it's completely yeah. There are sections that half have been completely of the, exactly half the the city has been completely destroyed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks like you know when you see aerial footage of that of of Aleppo, it looks like you know Hiroshima after yeah. the the bomb was dropped. Right. So so we're talking about a country that, for all intents and purposes, does not exist anymore. I mean, the borders are still there. Right. And foreign powers are, you know, they all have their interests at these various borders. But essentially, the country doesn't exist. So you have what you have is you have regime control over a significant amount of territory in a kind of along a strip from Damascus north up to through Aleppo into and they're going to battle for what's Idlib province. But like west of Damascus spreading south until you get to certain areas of the south. Um, but And that that control of territory is getting... It, 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 they're increasing their control of territory with the help of the Russians, the Iranians, Hezbollah, 
Shia militiamen from right. Afghanistan and so on and so forth that are essentially mercenaries. But it is not so, regime control. They don't control the entirety of the country. You know, there's this narrative that that Assad has won. Still, again, although there has been gains made on the ground, there's also four other armies that are operating in Syria. You have the United States, okay. which controls a big portion of the northeastern part of the country. You have the Turks, who control a big portion of the north, stretching towards the northeast, bumping right up against the United States. You have the Russians. You also have the Syrian military. And now, periodically, you have the Israelis, who are not on the ground, but who are right, in the airspace and stuff right. like that. But, but, but I mean, what I'm saying, essentially, is there's no economy in Syria anymore. There's no... People aren't going about their daily business and going to work and going to school. And if they are, it's only in pockets. It's not really, like, on a nationwide right. level. Right, so in Damascus... So real life, like, real life... There's real life in Damascus... Life, there's real life yeah. in the western portion of Aleppo. There's real life in places like Latakia and Tartus and stuff like that. But yes, this is a this is not a, a functioning place. This is this is a failed right. place. Okay, so into this mess, it's not as if we're wading into this mess because the U.S. has been, been involved in the Middle East right. for. You know, generations. But and President has Obama has, very much yeah. wanted to stay out of any right. kind of direct involvement. <laughs> Although the United States was, for a while, funding and supplying opponents of the Assad regime through what was kind of broadly referred to as the Free Syrian Army, which was just a myriad numbers of different militias who were taking arms and money from a variety of different actors some of whom <coughs> there still is a free Syrian army and they're op- they're operating with the Turks now and those groups are al qaeda affiliates and those were things that the United States didn't want to get involved in anyway go ahead right and the and the and the US doesn't want to put boots on the ground no other question. than the 2000 soldiers that Troops are on the ground in right. northeastern Syria. But, but the last thing we want to do, and this was the same for Obama, it's the same for the current president. The right. last thing they want to do is put a large that's have right. a large military presence on the ground. That's right. Every, every because, public talk because we don't know we don't know what the goals are right. there. What's the end game? Well, we have no end game. So there. every public talk that I give when Syria comes up because it invariably does in questions, I well, ask whoever, who, whatever group I'm speaking for, how many people want to deploy a large American force to right. Syria to overthrow the regime and discipline politics there and bring the civil war to right. an end. No one. No one, not not a single hand no. ever goes up. Okay, so now again, let's fast forward to the events of this week, okay. just so we can bring this bring this around. Okay. So last week, it turns out that uh, Bashar al-Assad's forces use chemical weapons right. and kill several hundred people. I think is the number. Yeah, in Duma, which is yeah. Uh, yeah. on the okay. outskirts of Damascus, right. So this is the point where the U.S. says we're going to take out whatever chemical weapons facilities we can because this is our red line. Right. President Trump came to office saying President Obama did not enforce his red line. I will enforce a red line and started tweeting about the animal Assad, which was actually kind of accurate because Assad means lion. But go ahead. (laughs) So after maybe a week or so after saying 
we're pulling out our 2,000 troops from Syria. We're gonna, yes. we're not gonna be involved anymore at all. Right. Which would, which, I mean, there are pros and cons to all of these decisions, right. obviously, right. and they're not to be taken lightly. Okay. But, so, so now we, along with the Brits and the French, took out several installations, military three. installations, chemical weapons three. installations. Whether Okay, three. Whether or not we telegraphed our moves, choreographed it, in, you know, informed the Russians mm-hmm. beforehand, mm-hmm. made sure that nothing of value was really destroyed mm-hmm. there, or if we took out their, you know, their ability to use chemical weapons in the future, or maybe if we're trying to do this just to show them, hey, chemical weapons aren't okay, mm-hmm. we did something. Right. So this week we did something. Right. And let's put aside the fact that had Obama done this, the Republicans in Congress would have gone completely bananas because it was done without congressional approval, which you know is debatable as to what right the president has right. under the right. Constitution to well, do this. Well, and the authorization for the use of military force goes back to 9-11, and what does this have to do with that? But right. Obama justified so I mean, actions in a variety yeah. of places based on the same AUMF, Authorization for the use of military force, as Trump is now right. using in Syria. Okay, so I mean, I think it's safe to say that a lot of Democrats are aren't angry about right. this, uh, just like a lot of Republicans right. would have been angry about this had Obama done. Right. And I think it's also fair to say that the Republicans would have been louder and more vitriolic the, with their opposition. The, the crux to it. of the the crux of the issue here in Syria, <laughs> and the and yeah. the debate is that what national security interests are at stake for the United States in Syria. Right. Um, and so now we get to this question of is the attacking the chemical weapons site, what was this about and was it worth it? Because what we've done is and what the argument for is is that we're upholding a norm against the use right. of these horrific weapons. Right. And But here's the thing. We did that Almost exactly a year ago, when the president ordered a missile strike on an air base based on was it was it just against like a yeah it was just against it was against an air base basically nothing and then nothing was done I mean it was more symbolic than anything else it was upholding this 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 norm but of course Assad has used chemical weapons in between that airstrike and what we did on Friday night. And he's also used conventional weapons to kill many, many, many more people. So right. this has many right more. People. So it yeah. has people wondering, well, we're going to do this. He's going to continue to kill. OK, he can't use chemical weapons, but this doesn't change the president's strategic calculus here, which is we're getting out of Syria very, very soon. So, OK, and when it also go ahead. No, so but the question is, is that the wisest course of action. Should we be pulling these 2,000 troops out? Right. Some people say... I mean, what, go ahead. No, I mean, nobody knows what the wisest course well, of action is. Well, that's exactly right. we've never right. been pursuing that's the, exactly the wisest course right. of action. This is the yeah. hardest problem of all. Yeah. Because well, here's, there are so many good arguments about what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. Right. And where I come down to it is I'm now... I, as I said, I've changed my mind on Syria three, four times. I was just this conversation. I, I've changed my mind. I was initially pro-intervention, 
early on yeah. saying that the he, it's only a matter of time before he falls was BS. And that well, unless we do something... You've never met a war you didn't like. True. You're like a neocon. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that unless we did something, we were going <clears> to <throat> confront a humanitarian disaster of unimaginable proportions. Never Which so sorry to be so are. correct. Yeah. And that yeah. it was going to hand a victory to the Iranians in in the Levant, which is which is also true. Right. Then in 2013, when Obama was going to do, you know, I said, I don't know what national security interest this this serves, and it has the possibility of actually intensifying violence in Syria and right. sucking us in. Maybe we don't want to do this now with the Russians and the Iranians and the Iran, and you can see what the Iranians kind of strategic view of things is and the revelations about how the Russians are seeking to um, weaken the West weaken the United States and one of the places that they're starting is in the Middle East it strikes yeah. me that this then brings Syria raises Syria to a level of national security interest that previously was not as important to us so now, okay. Um, so let me let, okay. let me let me let me interrupt you because this is an important point that I want to sort of bring this around to. Okay. Given what we know about Trump's relationship with Russia, right. or more importantly, given what we don't know right. about Trump's relationship with Russia, right? How is it possible to look at what's going on in Syria without looking at it through the prism of? How does this relate to Russia? Right. Now, if, if we believe, and I think we both do, and you said it just now, that one of Putin's goals is to weaken the West at all costs. Right. And whether that means he's going to disrupt elections in Europe and in the United States and, you know, help destabilize the NATO alliance mm-hmm. and help weaken Western democracies, which is certainly in his interest and certainly is the policy mm-hmm. that he has been pursuing for the last half decade, if not longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know that of all of the real and or imagined enemies that Trump has, mm-hmm. Russia never rises to that level. Right. So of all of the of all of the threats, of all of the warnings, of all of the bad dudes coming, right. and, you know, the saber rattling at Mexico, the saber rattling at Mexico and Australia, <laughs> and you know whatever other allies, natural allies we have, he's never done this against Russia. Right. So of course, given everything else that's going on in that context, like it's a little odd. Well, so but now we're looking at, but now we're looking at Syria. Yeah, and we're saying Russia has been active in Syria from the beginning, and they from certainly 2015. have twenty fifteen. Took them four years to get okay. involved. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And they certainly have interests yeah. at stake. Sure. Here. And those interests do not match up with our interests. No. So. But again, if we're looking at this through the new, the, the current regime in this country, mm-hmm. who seems to be giving Russia whatever it wants everywhere, mm-hmm. how is it possible? How do we look at the events of the last week and the events of the last year outside of that context? So if we look at the bombing, so, right? We look at last so, year's symbolic yeah. bombing of a runway right. that may or may not have been you know, announced to the Russians beforehand. And who knows about last week's bombing, or this past week's bombing, too. Right. So, 
So, so, so here's my. How are we supposed to look at this right. and understand well, what we think about Russia? You know, it's it's rare that I'd be willing to give Trump any kind of you know leeway, no less benefit of the doubt. There's a lot of stuff out there about <clears throat> you know this was done to deflect attention to the Mueller investigation. Right. There are Wag- reports the that Wag- Mueller can put theory. Michael Cohn in Prague meeting with Russians in 2016, yeah. Yeah. which I yeah. think is evidence was brought up in the Steele dossier and so on and so forth. But let's right. go back to the 2016 campaign and let's go back to the president's kind of what you can piece together about his statements about American foreign policy. And that is essentially... We don't really care about what has happened in Syria. We just want to bomb the <laughs> expletive. I will not I will not put any more money right. in that jar. Bomb the expletive out of ISIS. And yeah. we don't have any particular commitment to Syria. And in fact, in some way, buying a Russian narrative, which is we can cooperate against extremism in the Middle East because it threatens the two of us, both countries, and that's what we should be doing. And in fact, what the president has said is we're going to get out and others need to do more. And those others are Egypt, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Jordan, and others. Right. So that there's a temptation to say, oh, well, look, you know, we don't the, the, that he's doing this because the Russian in the context of the Russian investigation, he's never called out the Russians for what they're yeah. doing and, and, and so on and so forth. And I think all of those things have an air of, of truth and, and logic to them. But I also think that yeah. Trump's base doesn't want to get involved in, in Syria. He's politically, he's staring down the barrel of the midterms and we're getting, we're going to bomb the expletive out of, ISIS. I wish you would just curse No, again. no, I'm not going to do it. I owe a lot of money, Sorry. and I, there's a lot of money in there. And um, I already paid. And this, he's going back to this whole thing of cleaning house and stuff. He's kind of going back to what right. worked for him. And so, yeah, I, I think there's possibly an element where the guy is completely running scared on the whole Russia front. Um, right. But uh, it's not... I'm. I'm not willing to tie everything that the administration does in Syria to to the Russians, and I'm of the okay. view I'm of the view we should be doing more to counter the Russians. I don't want to live in a world right. with uh, Russia and Iran in this strengthened position in the Middle East because they're two revisionist powers that are enemies of the United States. And let's face it, they yeah. are. They are. Now, I'm going to leave us, I think, with one more thought. Okay. Is and this we, about, we, we kind like, of RNC no. chair love child playboy? No. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Oh. no. We're going to stick with Syria. Uh, I'm going to stick with this. I wanted to talk about because, love, you know. I, we, we can talk about that next time. All right. Uh, because there's still, I mean, we talked about, you know, the fact that chemical weapons usage is something that is... Um, illegal under international law mm-hmm. and, and something that we have to fight against or that we have to you know, stand up and say, like, this is what we're not willing to accept. But I had this conversation with Jordan the other day when we were talking mm-hmm. about what's happening. And I said, okay, so 100 or so people were killed by chemical weapons, and that's horrific 
and we cannot minimize that in the least. Like, but we've also shown our almost complete indifference yeah. to the nearly half a million that's, Syrians, and that's who one have of the killed. arguments. That's one of the arguments that people have made who who don't understand why we undertook these military strikes on Friday night. Yeah, is that yeah? How is it when you get to the point where half a million people almost have been killed, most yeah. by conventional weapons? Why is it right. that chemical weapons that killed a you know a couple hundred? Why is right? Why does that spur us to to military action? And it's a great question, and it's a question that is actually go is been debated for quite some time in terms of the. Yeah. It was it was the debate in 2013 when President Obama contemplated military action right. against right. against Syria, and it's one that. You, you have to wrestle with. I mean, it is true. Like, what is the difference at this point? Why is right. this... Are they any less dead? Are right. those people any less exactly. dead? Are they any more dead? And no. I, I think uh, that... And, and I think... Yeah. I think that people would say that these are so fundamentally terrible and pose such a grave risk to kill so many people around the world if this norm wasn't upheld, if these... That... Um, that's why you have to do it now. Of course, what's, I don't disagree with but, that. But, but what's missing from the from the, from that argument is that it actually takes a lot to use chemical weapons on a mass scale. You can't kill that millions of people. It, that, it takes a lot. That, 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 that that's true. But you know, we're talking half a million dead people from the right. conventional war. It's also a mass. Right. So scale. how come we didn't? How come we didn't right. intervene? Right. There's no good answer. Right. This there's is, no you know, good. That's the thing. There's a philosophical debate, and it is tearing um, people apart. And um, the the debates in in Washington about Syria are perhaps the most intense debates that um, I've had because it. It brings in a whole host of other issues, Iran, JCPOA, yeah. Russia, the president's relationship with Russia. Look, if the president, if there weren't all these, clear, I mean, clear kinds of evidence of conflicts, conflicts yeah. and collusion even, yeah. it would be an easier debate to have in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. But it brings and, up all and, these and the other thing, the other thing that I, that I would add here mm -hmm. Is because we're talking now about like what's acceptable and how much are we willing uh, to take in terms of human suffering. Well, this, do you know? Yeah. Hold on. In 2017. Yeah. We took in 11, <laughs> or no? The, yeah, we took in 11 Syrian refugees. Or is that so far this year? It's 18. Yeah, I think so far this year it's it's 11, <laughs> 11 <laughs> Syrian refugees. I know. That's. That's one more than ten. <laughs> I know. And I if was we on. Really gave, if we really cared, right. right? We would do a little bit more. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know. You can't. You can't make those arguments. No. I know. If you're not, I mean, yeah. So this All is right. this is the thing that I think is tearing people. And I think it's. I think it's a. I think it's a bruising debate in Washington. But I think ultimately it's a. It's a very good one because, and this is something I, I think I'm going to try to write my next column on, is about. How we define our interests and when they no longer when they're no longer our interests. I mean, if we're no longer willing to defend them and sacrifice for them, how can we call them our interests? Anyway, that's that's for something other than I'm in corner. Anyway, okay, 
Well, this is a different type of episode, but I think one that was uh, important—an important discussion to have this week. And they, next week, we'll get back to our usual merriment and cursing. <laughs> I think. All right, we're out. Thanks, everybody. All right, we're out.